Good morning, Tabernacle. I'm glad that you're here on this snowy winter weekend. Here in Manistee, especially, we want to say welcome to you. Uh, And this morning, I'm super thankful for those men and women and students who get up early to show up at this campus and at the Manistee campus to power everything up, stoke the fire, shovel the walkways, fire up the coffee. Are we thankful for that? That's pretty cool, is it not? Some of those folks uh, here in Buckley, they actually worship on Saturday night so they can come and serve the rest of us on Sunday. And so uh, we don't take those people for granted. And I also want to say how thankful I am for you as a church. Whether you're a member or not, you call this church your church or you're trying us for the first time, thanks. Um, And I I want to take care of one little item of business uh, before we jump into the message Uh, and then we'll be done with this. Some of you are probably tired of hearing about the big give. Uh, But the big give, uh, which is our Thanksgiving offering, uh, this past uh, year, back in 2021, uh, the final ended up right or just over $171,000, which is a record for the big give. So well done, Tab. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And if you remember uh, what, what we said, I mean, we're, we're going to do what we said we're going to do, which is uh, we're going to follow that old kind of Puritan kind of Methodist model of all the monies that come in, which is all outside of our budget. Uh, one third of it, we're going to save. One third of it, we're going to spend. And one third of it, we're going to give away, right? And so uh, what that looks like when we say uh, spend, those are going to go on some immediate projects. And that has to do mostly with Manistee. We have parking lots and roofs and some Sunday or uh, kids' rooms that we got to take care of. Um, but uh, 57,000 is how the three-thirds broke down. So 57, 57, 57, if my math is right and my little iPhone calculator is right because I don't math. Um, but uh, uh, the save part for us means we put it towards debt. So savings, investing in your future. So $57,000 is going straight to debt. So those of you guys that are just, you know, the debt Nazis, you're welcome, right? (laughs) We went after that with one big chunk. But the part we're most fired up about, and I want you to be fired up about this because this is God using us together, is uh, our leadership team had a blast like giving money away, right? Just making it rain, as the kids say, for Come on, we made it rain for some ministries and some missionaries, like those that we've been invested in, and uh, that's a big deal. I grew up as a missionary kid, and I wore all the hand-me-down clothes, so now I get to be on the other end of it, and and yeah, it was pretty cool. So um, without going into all the specifics, there were nine different missionaries or ministers, and they and their spouses that we were able to give like a big $2,000 Merry Christmas check to which is pretty cool when you have to raise your own income, right? Most of us are like, yeah, we work for a living. Yeah, but when you're living on support and you're in Thailand or in the Upper Peninsula or in Pakistan, and then somebody just says, Merry Christmas from the tab, that's pretty cool, right? Not from John, from us. And, and every single one was like, what in the world? We didn't expect this. And, and we got to respond to them. It's just God's money. We're just giving you God's money. Isn't that cool? Don't be awkward. We're talking about money, okay? Uh, there was two of those missionaries in particular had special needs. Uh, one of them, are the missionary family that we support in Thailand, they'd had all this money pledged and they were over there about a year and then $7,000 of pledged money just didn't come in. 
right? It's like, I don't know if people lost jobs or COVID or, oh, I said the word, um, or, uh, uh, or they just out of sight, out of mind. So for one of these families, we were able to say, okay, we're gonna make up for six months of lost support. For another family had this outrageous medical bill that was kind of hanging over their head and it was like, okay, well, how much is it? $7,000 cancer bill. And the tab just paid for it for a missionary family. I want you to know, like, these are real people with real practical needs. And yeah, we got to be a part of that. And then I got super fired up because there's four different ministries that, that weren't a specific missionary or minister that we decided to support. Um, tiny developers in Manistee, right? We got behind that project again. Uh, there's a crisis pregnancy center in TC that we got behind. We figured if that's what we believe, we're going to put our money where our mouth is on helping people, right? Ecuador, we got to help pay for a foster facility that takes kids out of abusive homes and gets them in a safer environment. So you didn't know we're going to Ecuador. I didn't either, right? Uh, and then uh, there was a, there's also a, um, a church uh, plant in Mexico that had put a down payment on a piece of property. And, and they have all these people attending, but they have to bounce around in where they're meeting. And uh, so we found out that they owed $4,000 on their piece of property that had to be paid off before they could build on, on it. And so a, some random church in Northern Michigan, that's us, paid off that piece of property. We're planting churches in Mexico. Anybody excited about that? And lastly, and I'm probably the most fired up about this because it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, Shuna Ministries, which is uh, the missionary guest house we support down in Indianapolis, uh, we asked them, do you have any special needs? And they said, not any special needs, except we're committed to, to, to we want to, or we're going to host a missionary retreat for all these missionaries from global partners that got yanked out of Haiti this last year. I don't know if you followed the news, but after all the kidnappings, uh, they, they had to be evacuated. And so that's traumatic. I mean, that's the house you live in and you and your kids and these people home to South Dakota, these South Carolina, these people back to in and, and this, this group of missionaries, just all different directions. You got the trauma of that. You've been yanked out of your home. You don't know when you can go back and they missed out on their missions retreat that was gonna be in Port-au-Prince. And so uh, uh, the tabernacle paid for those missionaries to have a retreat in Noblesville, Indiana. And the coolest thing is they don't know it's us. It's just some church in Northern Michigan. Isn't that cool? So I wanna to say to you, thank you uh, for being generous and uh, thanks to our board. And, and I, we, we wanted you to know that we were faithful to do what we said we're going to do with all of that. So that being said, we're gonna shift back into the Son of God series. We're in Luke chapter nine. And uh, before we jump into that, uh, this is gonna be a hard shift of gears, but we can do this, right? So... What I wanted to share was, my family eats a lot of eggs. <laughs> I've noticed that. And, and, and maybe more so this week because we had a bunch of college kids home with us and my wife's you know, cooking. We eat a lot of eggs. And I got thinking about eggs because yesterday there were no eggs in the refrigerator and I was observing that we eat a lot of eggs. And it dawned on me, and, and maybe I've said this before, but I'm 51 years of age, and I can remember as a little kid, breakfast, mom or grandma or whoever's making breakfast, son, eat your eggs. And I like them all the ways they make them. Scrambled eggs, sunny side up. You know, some people overdo them. 
Boiled eggs, deviled eggs, delicious. I'm not a heretic. I just like that way, right? But then I remember when they, whoever they are, started telling us eggs were bad. Eggs are killing you. Don't eat eggs. You're gonna get heart disease. You're gonna have a stroke. Arterio or arterio, I don't know which, one of the sclerosis is you're gonna get from eggs. Don't eat eggs. They're bad. Eggs are bad. And then a couple years later, they take your time. <laughs> then they decided that it was the egg yellow part that was bad. And, and you could stay with the white part. White eggs, are, or the white was good, the yellow was bad. You remember that? This is all my lifetime. And then I do remember reading an article that then said, no, it's not the white part, it's the yellow part that's bad. And now I am happy to report that they, whoever they are, have decided that eggs are safe again. You guys get where I'm going with that? There's all these voices that want to tell you stuff. There's all these voices that culture speaks. They want to tell you this about pandemic or that about pandemic. They want to tell you this about how you should exercise or not exercise. They want to tell you this about eggs or that about eggs. We have voices at work, voices at school, voices on the television, voices on the interwebs. What voice do you listen to? I clicked on an article the other day and it said the top 10 worst foods that are killing you. Number one was bacon. I stopped reading the article. I'm like, well, these people are complete idiots. Gotta die of something. Might as well be bacon. I mean, what, what else am I gonna find on that list? But I wonder what voices you listen to. For some of us, there's voices inside our heads from our childhood. Or the voices inside of our heads that tell us we're not good enough or we're not forgiven or God could never use you or that he doesn't love you. And so with that in mind, let's look at Luke chapter nine. And, and it, I think it relates, I hope by the end of this message, it'll relate because we're gonna look at the most significant event in Jesus' life between his birth, what we celebrate at Christmas and his death burial and resurrection, what we celebrate at Easter. And it's this moment that seems out of place. It's the transfiguration that we really don't know what to do with. And so Jesus' ministry is carrying on and thousands are following him. He's got his inner circle of disciples and, and, and men and women. They're listening to his teaching. They're watching him heal people. If, if you've been keeping up with the reading program, you know that he sent his disciples out. He's kind of doubling down on their training. This is how you do it. He actually gave them power to go cast out demons and do some of the work. Can you imagine that? At the beginning of Luke 9, it says he, he gave his disciples authority and power to heal people and drive out demons of, of demon-possessed people. And to, I mean, that'd be super cool, in my opinion. Anyone agree? If like Jesus gave you a little badge and said, I deputize you to go heal people. I probably would have had my badge taken back because I would have been, hey, can I do the walk on water thing? Oh, no, no? sorry. Oh, no. And then he'd say, you can't trust you with that, right? But, he, but he's training them. And, and sometimes the disciples are getting it right. And sometimes the disciples blow it. Sometimes it's like, oh, great faith. And then other times they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And in the middle of all that, 
mess, you have this mountaintop experience that just doesn't seem to fit with anything else. And that's what we're gonna read about today. So in Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 28, it says, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now, this is God's word. And you have a choice to either believe all of it or believe none of it. If you believe none of it, the rest of this message is irrelevant. But if you believe all of it, or if you think you might want to, this is actually pretty astounding what just happened. Astounding is a big word. We'll talk, you know, this was trippy. This was trippy. Okay, so why he just took the three, Peter, James, and John? We don't know. I assume there was some sort of leadership structure. He, he wasn't going to take all of them, but he took three. And he took them to the top of a mountain. Which mountain? We don't know. But we know that when they got there, Jesus spent some significant time in prayer. And as often as if you read the gospels, you find whenever Jesus is in a significant time in prayer, his disciples usually fall asleep. They just do because we're just like them. They're just like us, right? And so they're asleep and you know something's happening and they wake up to this shocking scene that it's kind of difficult to explain. And I'm no expert on it because I wasn't there. All we have are the reports in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, in John's gospel, he doesn't even refer to this, even though it was a significant event and John was there. But it says, first of all, that when they woke up, they see Jesus standing with two guys and Jesus' face is altered. It's different. They knew it was Jesus, but there was something different about his face. It uses the word glory. And scholars are trying to figure out, well, how do you describe glory? That's a hard one because it's not just a picture. It's also a feeling. It's also majesty and splendor. But somehow, you know, Jesus being fully God and fully man, you know, the, you know, the scholars would say when God became man, it's like he put on a cloak of humanity. But in that moment, he gave them a look. It's like the curtains were parted just a little bit bit and they got a glimpse of who Jesus really was in his glory and, and how they describe it is his face was altered. It also goes on to say that his clothes were all of a sudden white, 
One of the guys, we're here, it says, you know, the brightest white. They were the dazzling white. One of the gospels says uh, that the white was shown like the sun. And then Mark, uh, he wasn't too descriptive. He was like, his clothes were bleached, right? But they got a peek at his glory. And somehow it says that two men were talking with him and they were Moses and Elijah. Now, first of all, it's important to point out that Moses and Elijah had departed a long time ago before this. Elijah taken up into heaven, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. Moses, no one knew where he was because it says in the book, or it says in the Old Testament that when he died, God buried him because they didn't want the children of Israel to come worship at his grave. So two great men of the Old Testament are there. I want to know how Peter knew it was them. There's no Smithsonian where they saw portraits of the founding fathers. But somehow in this supernatural event, they see Jesus in his glory. He's transfigured. And somehow Moses and Elijah are there, long since dead, hanging out. Now do you see why I say it was trippy? And they're talking with him. What are they talking about? Speaking about his departure. Give me more details. Was Elijah going, well, man, yeah, a couple days or a couple weeks, a couple months here. Yeah, my departure, I went up on a chariot. It was weird, you know. It's where the whole swing low, swing chariot song comes from. Yeah. Moses, well, God just took me out in the desert and killed me and buried me. How's it going to, it says they're speaking about his departure. And then old Peter, bless his heart. He's the guy that decides he needs to have a little commentary. So he just woke up from a nap and he's got an idea. And he says, uh, master, it's good we're here. Okay. Like I so much wanted like Moses or Elijah just be like, hey, who? Who's this guy? You know, I mean, Peter, hey, it's good. We're here too. And then he comes up with this idea. Let's build tents. A tent for you, a tent for Moses and a tent for Elijah. Why do he say that? We'll get to that in a second, but it was at that moment, there's a cloud that envelops them. And it says the disciples got really, really afraid. And then the voice And I think this voice is for them and this voice is for us. The voice said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. It's like the cloud, gone. Moses and Elijah, gone. The glimpse, the moment, the glory, gone. Jesus alone. So the plain thing, the main thing in this whole story for them and for us is this simple message. Jesus is the son of God. Listen to him. Don't be distracted by Moses. Don't be distracted by Elijah. Don't be distracted by the cloud. Don't be distracted by the glimpse of glory. I know you got a tingle, but Jesus is the son of God. Listen to him. What I do, what we do, is we don't hear the voice of Jesus because we're too busy listening to all the other voices. 
the voice of the boss, the voice of the spouse, the voice of the kids, the voice of culture, the voice of the experts, the voice of the interwebs, what the mean girls say if I'm in junior high, what the mean boys say when I'm in ninth grade. We listen to all these voices and we let them determine the direction of our lives, what we think about ourselves, how we feel about ourselves. And it's like, on this weekend, if, if, if this is all you get, it, it, this is all you get. Jesus is the son of God. Listen to him. It's his voice that matters. I was with a group of pastors this week and we were talking about the impact that social media has on us. And I don't want to be the social media hater guy because it can serve a good purpose. But when I say social media, I'm talking primarily about Facebook or Instagram or um, I should stop there because there's a ticky tock thing that's happening. <laughs> and uh, some other things that I don't quite understand. But my kids do, and that's all that matters. But we have these influencers, and you know they make a living on YouTube somehow. How do I get that gig, right? But uh, they never leave home. <laughs> but we were talking about the influence it has. Now listen to me, how depression is on the rise, not just with young people, but with old people. And experts, they, hopefully not the ones talking about eggs, a lot of this gets tracked back to social media. And so I want you to hear this, for example, because that's a loud voice that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly comparing myself to what other people are posting on social media, their picture, their body, their chocolate, their dinner, their date, their kids, their grandkids, right? And when you look on social media, we have to understand that all of it is a lie. Did you hear that? It's a lie. How do I know that's true? A couple years ago, my wife and I, we celebrated our anniversary. Uh, uh, we were down in Grand Rapids and we had this lovely dinner at this fabulous establishment called Five Guys. <laughs> Don't judge me. This is my marriage, man. I married a woman who appreciates a cheeseburger, so calm down. And, and we're on this anniversary little excursion. I have five guys. And, you know, because I don't do the fingers and the thumbs like the kids do, I'm taking the selfie. Hey, let's get in here for our anniversary selfie, right? I don't even, I don't even like the word selfie, but that's what I'm doing, just to speak your language. And I click, and then I'm like, oh, oh your thumb was in the way. All right, dude, click. And then, oh, we got, the, she goes, no, you're not posting that. All right, let's try it again. <laughs> you know? Nobody duck-lipped, I promise. That's the stupidest thing ever. I'm a Proverbs 31 chick. You know, whatever. So my point is we took that picture three or four times, and then it was like when the, we got the approved photo, it's still we had to adjust the lighting and crop it just right, and then it was posted. You get my point? If I do that, I know you do that. So, oh, look at their family. They're just so happy together. Every family photo of the Vermilias, my son had to be beaten right beforehand. <laughs> All the girls are like, no, they're not. But, and then he's like, because he got beat because he didn't want to be in the photo. <laughs> and so... We post all this stuff and then we're like, why isn't my coffee as glorious as that coffee that she posted about with her biscuit? Or why isn't my marriage like that or my spouse? And it's a lie. And we listen to that voice instead of listening to the voice of God. 
What does Jesus say in his word? That you're loved. You're loved with a love that will never fail. That his grace is enough for all the sin you've ever committed and all the sins that have ever been committed against you. That that grace is lavished on you. That it's never ending. That you're forgiven. That you're redeemed. That you've been bought back. That you're adopted. You're chosen and adopted. And it can't be taken away. You're sealed. You have a purpose. Your future's in his hands. He's in control. You can trust him. He loves you. He wants you to follow him and serve him and obey him. You're beautiful. Exactly the way you are, you're enough. That's his voice. We don't hear it. We don't hear it. In Colossians chapter one, verse 15, it says that Jesus is the, in, he's the image of the invisible God. That means if you wanna know what God's like, you look at Jesus. It's not like he's a little junior God. He is God. And so when that father's voice says, this is my son, he's saying Jesus is the son of God. We should listen to him. But wait, there's more. Because I was thinking, why, why, why Moses and Elijah? Don't miss this. Because many of us here, we've lost loved ones. Many of us here, probably all, all of us, we're facing the unknown. Like what happens when I die? Is this all real? I don't want to miss the fact that God allowed Peter, James, and John, and Moses and Elijah to all witness Jesus' glory. But Peter, James, and John also got to see Moses and Elijah. Now, they're not junior messiahs, but they're faithful disciples, faithful servants of God that had gone on before. And the fact that they were there, they were not ghosts, they were real. And they were in glory. That speaks hope. And the hope is this. The fact that they were there means the cost of following Jesus, and there is one, is worth it. It means it's worth it. If Moses and Elijah were faithful and they died and they're not gone forever, their bodies should have been decayed. But in the new heaven and the new earth, when I meet Jesus, my body's glorified. And let me tell you, I need some glorification. I am losing the battle of the bulge hard. But one day I'm going to have a glorified body. Moses and Elijah did. And it was kind of like God allowed the curtain between the natural and the supernatural to be parted so those guys could see proof. Oh, you thought that Moses and Elijah are just part of history, the dusty pages? No, they're still around. They're with me. In glorified bodies, in glory with God. Does that give you hope? You see, this isn't all there is. There's something after. And that's what we're called to live for. Not the few short years we have on this earth. We're called to live for that. It says in in, in Romans chapter eight, it speaks to this. In verse 16, it says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's what the voice of Jesus says. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now get this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
So how do I know I'm gonna be a child of God? How do I know that one day I'm gonna be with God in glory, with a glorified body, with the glorified Christ forever and ever? How do I know that's gonna happen? If we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. If you've been reading along, Jesus says multiple times to his disciples, if you wanna follow me, you wanna be one of mine, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You deny yourself, you sacrifice yourself. What does that mean? It means it's going to be his way and not your way sometimes, or probably most of the time. It's going to be his agenda and not your agenda. You're going to be do the things that he wants you to do, even if they're hard, like forgive and love of your enemies, reconciling with people. You're going to take up your cross. That's what he says. That's the suffering. The problem is, is I don't like to suffer. Most of us don't like to suffer. But here's the message. Jesus is the son of God. Listen to him. And if you listen to him, you're going to follow him. And if you're going to follow him, some of that is going to be suffering along with him. And if you suffer with him, the promise is you'll be glorified with him. It sounds real dramatic. Let me put it to you in a different way. If you've ever been a part of a team, a team gets up early, they practice together, they train together, they sweat together, sometimes you bleed together, and then you play the game. Win, lose, or draw, you're a team, if you've ever been on a team, right? And when you win, there's glory. And if you've suffered with the team, when you win, you share in the glory of the team. And you get to celebrate the big win, even if you didn't score the touchdown, even if you didn't make the great play, even if you never even got on the field, you were just a bench warmer. That's okay. You suffer together, there's glory together. It's the same thing with Jesus. If you identify with him, and so I think part of the message of Moses and Elijah being there is just to remind us that this is real and we're playing for keeps. The cost of following Jesus is worth it. It's worth it. So I say again, tabernacle. I believe Jesus is the son of God. So listen to him, his way, his word, his message, his plan, his agenda, what he says about you. And then Peter, and as I said before, bless his heart. He's the guy that's got to say the words when he probably should have just, shh, don't speak, Peter. I was thinking about, I wonder, I wonder if what Peter was really trying to do there was try to capture the moment. Come on, everybody, we want a group photo. And the kids are like, oh, right? That's what Peter wanted. Hey, how do I elongate this mountaintop experience? He's been given a glimpse of glory. Hey, wait, 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 don't leave. I can make tents. We can just stay here. I've got so many questions for you, Moses and Elijah. I'm coming for you too. I would have questions. I mean, that's what eternity's for, but I want to talk to Moses about, hey, look, man, I'm afraid of snakes. And when you threw that staff down and then it turned into a snake and then you picked it up, were you a little bit afraid? Come on, didn't you see the Prince of Egypt at all? <laughs> Did you read Exodus? I got questions for Moses. I got questions for Elijah. Peter got all the tingles. He saw all the glory. And I wonder if he just kind of wanted to keep it going. I had the experience. I want more of that. Have you ever had an experience like that with God? 
Remember youth camp? The last night when it was great. Why was it great? Because everyone was crying. If everyone was crying, why was it great? You had to be there. You ever been to the retreat and it was like, it was just a bunch of men and we were all singing and we're that room full of men and their voices and they didn't care, but oh, it was amazing. It was like a glimpse. It was mountaintop. And we want to capture it. Or maybe it was in your personal time reading the Bible, or maybe it was in a deer stand. It was a moment where you knew that you knew that you knew that God was real and he heard and he cared and it was for you and you just want to capture it. I think those moments still happen. These little glimpses of God's glory in our life. Sometimes it happens in a church service, like I said, and sometimes it's on our own. But here's the problem. When we start chasing the glimpse instead of God himself, we get wrongheaded and I think it can turn into sin. Because then there's pressure to manufacture the glimpses. There's entire denominations that get wrongheaded this way. Ooh, we gotta bring in a smoke machine. That'll create the atmosphere where the, because you have to have like, you know, smoke for the spirit to be here. Come on. Do you know that God's spirit is with us when you love the worship and the bass dropped and you were like, yes. And uh, the spirit was here when they were off key. And it was really kind of not great. And we had to have a creative meeting about it the next Monday morning. Do you realize that? Peter wanted to hang out on the mountaintop and capture the glory. And it's in that moment, the voice stops everything. This is my son, my chosen one. You're looking at the smoke, Peter. You have, you're distracted by Moses and Elijah. And who wouldn't be? But the voice is saying, listen to him. And I don't think it's, a mistake to think that, well, that verse, Jesus was found alone after the voice spoke. Everything just went, boom, and there he was. And it's like God in heaven was saying, Jesus alone. That's who you need to pay attention to. Show's over. Peter wrote about his experience in his uh, second epistle, in Second Peter chapter 1. This is a big chunk of scripture, but I want you to just stay with me because I think there's one last important message for us. He's writing, starting in verse 16, it says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter is saying, listen, we're not trying to trick you here. This is something I saw with my own eyes, the majesty of Jesus Christ. And he's writing this years later. He says, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's saying, I heard the voice. I was there. I saw, I got the glimpse of glory. I was there. But then check out what he says. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He's saying there's something better. There's something better than the glimpse. It's the prophetic word more fully confirmed. 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? Okay, those were a lot of words, 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 words. What does all that mean? He's saying, I'm not trying to trick you. I've had that little glimpse of glory that most of us want. I found myself saying, man, if I could just see just a little miracle, if I could just see like the parting of the traffic in Grand Rapids, walk across on dry ground, or if I could just call fire down from heaven so the Bengals can win today. You know, I, he's saying, I saw all that, but you know what's more fully confirmed? The prophetic word as a light shining in a dark place. He's saying, you know what's better than all the stuff I saw? The Bible. And we have one. Which by the way, if you don't, talk to a staff member, we'll get you one. But that's the context. That's why I read all the parts. He reminds us that none of this came from man's own interpretation. It's all been inspired by God. And so with all the voices that are out there, Peter's saying, again, you don't have to chase after the little glimpses. Those are nice. God gives us those mountaintop experiences, but he's saying, Jesus is the son of God. That's what this book teaches. Listen to him. And some of us, we don't even know where we put our Bible. Not trying to make you feel bad. I'm saying we have everything and it's better. Peter didn't have one of these. He had to still help write it. As did James and John. So mountaintops. They're not bad. And you guys know what I mean when I say that? Like a spiritual mountaintop, like an emotional experience. I'm not, I'm not cracking those because you can navigate by mountains. I think I told you this before, a couple of years ago, when I finally got to return to the land that I grew up in, the city had totally changed. But I remember that my house was on a mountain. And so as we're driving down the main highway, going south to Laogon, I remember that mountain. I remember that mountain. I kept looking mountain, mountain. There's my house. I could find my old house because you can navigate by mountaintop experiences. They don't move. They're landmarks. They're great. But you know what's better than mountains? Maps. Maps, because you can bring sense to those landmarks that you're navigating by and they help you make sense of what you experience. So then I'm not chasing the experience, but the very word of God and Jesus himself is called by the word, the word. And so the message, the whole message is simply this for you, for me, for us today. Jesus is the son of God. Listen to him. Not what they're telling you you should be. (laughs) Not about eggs. Certainly not about your identity. Certainly not about your past. Certainly not about your standing. But the way we walk, the way we live, and our following of Jesus, do you know what's better than a pastor? (laughs) A lot better, Jesus. Listen to him. He's better than the Pope. 
We don't need to listen to him. We listen to Jesus. Guided by his word. So I wonder what you're up against. I'm done. What are you facing? What are the voices you're hearing? Are they voices of fear, condemnation, voices of guilt, voices of shame, voices that are telling you to just pitch it all and do your own thing? I wonder what Jesus is saying to you today. And so what we're going to do here in Manistee, would you just bow your heads with me just for, just for a moment? I'm not trying to create a tingle, but I want to challenge every single person with whatever you're facing in this moment, what would happen if you asked Jesus? Is it medical? Is it physical? Is it relational? Is it financial? Is it fear? Is it complacency? Are you bored? If God is real and he's alive and he still speaks, why don't you ask him, Jesus, what do you have to say about this? Or what do you want to say to me? Would you do that? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. The exact image of the invisible God. Thank you that he embodies the word and that he still speaks. That by your spirit, we can ask and we can hear. Would you give us courage and the will to respond to what you say and not ignore it? For your glory and for our joy. For Christ's sake and in his name we pray, amen.